We're all gathered up here today to do, uh, to discuss some Wicca, to do some Wicca. Ooh. It'll sound a little bit like that. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to take a different approach to today's episode. A uh, little bit. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and do the history bit that our legions of listeners have, have grown to know and love, uh, complete with our brief history. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and handle the brief history, though, today, because uh, Olivia has gathered together a crack team of Wiccans. Yeah, although I'm not uh, technically a Wiccan. So we have... Wiccan-esque people. <laughs> yeah, we're all little Wiccan-esque, huh. right? So today we have Aubrey... Who, Aubrey? Hi. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm new to Wicca. Yep, so we have a new Wiccan. New we have Wiccan. Brianna. I'm a Norse pagan, so I'm a little bit more different. I'm different than Wicca. She's a little more different. <laughs> um. in, in the family of paganism. Yes. Yeah, yes. literally in the family. She's my sister. Yeah, that's um, <laughs> and then we have me, and whatever I am. Part Wiccan. Part Wiccan, part everything. Everything, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and as usual, your host. Uh, all right, uh, so my name is Rob, uh, Olivia's with us, Brianna and Aubrey, who we just met, yep. uh, and we are going to go ahead and launch into our episode about Wicca. This is part of our Lady Magic series, uh, so basically after I do uh, our discussion about the history of Wicca, uh, we're going to have a discussion with our, our team of Wiccans here about the ladiness of Wicca. Uh, and then Olivia's going to ritualize with us all, and, and yep. uh, you can do it at home, right? They can follow oh, along at home. I made sure this ritual is, like, Walmart Wiccan realness friendly. Like Walmart Wiccan realness. Yeah. Like, I, I made sure I went to Walmart, and I said, I will not walk out of here with anything for this ritual that isn't from Walmart. I said that really weird, but <laughs> my point is, this is some Martha Stewart... Like, of my dreams, Wicca cooking show is what's going to yeah, happen. Yeah, you really Martha Stewart this. That's I a did. lot to go into the title, though. Okay, this is Occult Confessions. I don't even, like, I kind of know. We, we the, the members of the secret order of alchemical actors, do solemnly commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history of the occult as far as we know it. You did pretty good, Aubrey, Thank for your you first time. Yeah. yeah, we just, like, like in. launched you in there. Yeah. <laughs> She's been listening, so. Yeah. So Wicca, with its cult of the goddess, is the definition of lady magic in religious terms. But its identification as a uniquely feminist and matriarchal practice is not so straightforward. Sorry, ladies. The story of how Wicca became a modern religion is a strange and twisty one, even for religions, which generally have unusual starting points. See the crucifixion of a Jew. Oh, um, yeah. he went there. Well, I mean, come on. No, that's what this <laughs> or is. man sits under a tree for 40 days. No religion starts in a normal way. You're right. A normal, mm. just guy going through the street and says, I'm going to start a religion shop. Ragtag group. <laughs> well, I guess that's us, though. Yeah. Okay, except for this religion, the religion of the alchemical actors. Um, so it's a strange and pivoting story um, going around uh, one of the more controversial theories in the world of occult religion, uh, which is that there were pagans back in ancient times and that we have somehow revived their traditions in the postmodern and modern day. Wiccans tend to trace their practices back to, as I'm saying, ancient paganism. Many of them believe there is an unbroken line connecting their rituals to the most ancient forms of worship in human history. You know, druids and that sort of thing. Yep. Do you guys name other 
ancient things. Oh, I know a couple of druids, but... Um... Was that, that Gozer from Ghostbusters, she was pretty ancient. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a long episode. <laughs> yeah, okay. um, uh, but this is a pretty uh, bold suggestion, uh, is perhaps what my levity is getting at. Uh, it means that the witches we talked about uh, in our pagan episode, our episode on pagans, orgies, and witch cults, uh, we're sort of picking up that the, the themes of that episode. It would mean that those witches uh, existed <laughs> in the first place, which is debatable, and that we somehow have been able to recover their practices. Um, or at least that some form of rich witchcraft has survived under the radar of Christian authorities through the Christianization of Europe, the Reformation, the Enlightenment, all the way up to the present day. So you're beginning to see the difficulty of, of this historically. But perhaps it's possible. We're going to work it through. Um, this is pretty much how Gerald Gardner, the founder of what's now called Gardnerian, Gardnerian, Gardnerian Wicca, <laughs> not an easy one to say, thought it happened. I should have practiced that. He believed that most of the people uh, tried for witchcraft in the medieval and early modern times were unlucky Christians, and that the real pagans were clever enough to stay clear of the Christian authorities. Uh, also a man, just so we're keeping, mm. keeping that clear. Yep, Gerald was a man. <laughs> uh, an important part of what spurred the witch trial movement was a culture of, culture of surveillance encouraged by church officials in the 15th and 16th centuries. Neighbors peered through windows and into yards in search of deviant behavior of any kind, which Word. I believe the literal sisters just do. Oh. As a matter of course, yeah? You just yeah, go around but, peering into windows. But we do it as partners, so yeah. it, it's much more efficient. And yeah. if you see deviant behavior, you leave candy on the doorstep. Isn't that right? Yeah, I mean... You're uh, kind of like the Easter bunnies of deviants. <laughs> okay. Well, if I had a Tinder profile... You know, that's what it would, that's what it would be. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> Literal sisters, back at it again. <laughs> Uh, neighbors might observe a woman uh, who walked naked into her garden one too many times for it to be weather-related. People get um, so mad when you do that. I know. Or they might observe a man who put unusual statues outside his house that resembled pagan gods and then later murdered his maid. These are actual stories from the historical record of, uh, you know, medieval neighbor snooping. Uh, there was no getting around Europe's nosy neighbors, but you couldn't take uh, an alfresco stroll through the azaleas, let alone practice an organized style of pagan worship with a group of your 13 closest companions, which is Gardner's definition of a traditional coven. Still, many occultists and many scholars believed paganism had survived, and the controversy continues to the present day. Is modern Wicca connected up with an unbroken line of pagan worship going back to the days of the cave woman? This is the question we are setting out to answer here. Can you walk naked through your azaleas? Yes. And is that Wiccan? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Neat. Maybe, I'll, maybe I'm going to convert today. Uh, so uh, let's get this story started with Margaret Murray. 
you might remember Murray from our episode on the pagans and the witch cults. Uh, she was an Egyptologist, uh, and she suggested that the existence of a witch cult in Western Europe uh, worshipped something she called the Horned God, a fertility deity. This tradition involved the occasional sacrifice of witches in honor of the god to symbolize the death and rebirth built into the seasonal cycle. Uh, so this sort of agrarian tradition of human sacrifice in order to appease the gods. They also celebrated Sabbaths, these um, witches that Margaret Murray theorized on the 2nd of February, the 30th of April, the 1st of August, the 31st of October. These dates sound like what to us, Wiccans? They're just the Sabbaths. Why, why those? The holidays. Because of the cycle. Yeah. Well, it's the Oak King and the Holly King, but that's a whole thing. <laughs> you want to get into that? What I'm looking for is just the seasons, man. It's harvest. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so the each of the seasons. Yeah. yeah. Right. So they're each there are four celebrations. There's four seasons, and they're each pegged to transition periods and in the seasons. And there's still like little ones in between. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. witches belong to covens of thirteen members, as I mentioned. Um, this comes from Margaret Murray. This is something Gerald Gardner picks up and, and carries on into modern Wicca. She argues that the witch cult involved the worship of Diana. Is the it's a Roman name for the virgin goddess of you know the moon and hunting and good old virgin goddess. Good old virgin goddess. <laughs> um, <laughs> although we're going to be having a lot of Wiccan sex, so oh, yeah. Diana well, not exactly an exemplar. Anyway, uh, <laughs> this idea dates back to the 900s. A document called the Canon Episcopi asserted that women joined the <laughs> yes that is the official pronunciation. <laughs> Episcopi? That's Episcopi? I would like one episcope. So this document dates to the 900s. It asserted that women joined the goddess in magical late night rides, which the church diagnosed as demonic illusion. Can confirm. You were there? Yep. <laughs> All right, let's hear we a little bit. Oh. You, you ride it. We ride at night. Currently, but also in no, 900. No, at night, like tonight. Oh, tonight have... you're riding. Yeah, if we yeah. convert you by the time this is done. Yeah, oh, I can ride. Yeah, we yeah. got a horse. I was just looking naked. to walk through the azaleas. I mean, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, this isn't. This isn't let's, let's, uh, <laughs> let's hear a little bit from Margaret Murray. The evidence proves that underlying the Christian religion was a cult practiced by many classes of the community. Chiefly, however, by the more ignorant of those in the less thickly inhabited parts of the country. It can be traced back to pre-Christian times and appears to be the ancient religion of Western Europe. The deity of this cult was incarnate in a man, a woman, or an animal. The feminine form of the name Diana is found throughout Western Europe as the name as a female deity or leader of the so-called witches. But at the time when the cult is recorded, the worship of the male deity appears to have superseded that of the female. It is only on rare occasions that the god appears in a female form to receive the homage of the worshippers. As a general rule, the woman's position, when divine, is that of a familiar or substitute of the male god. The greater number of the ceremonies appear to have been practiced for the purpose of securing fertility. Of these, the sexual ritual has been given an overwhelming and quite unwarranted importance in the trials, for it became an obsession with the Christian judges and recorders to investigate the smallest and most minute details of the rite. Though in late examples, the ceremony had possibly degenerated into a bacchanalian orgy. It was originally a ceremonial magic to ensure fertility. All right, so let's just break this down bit by bit. Uh, first, she's saying that primarily what we're looking at in uh, this 
early pagan tradition is everybody who is poor and stupid are the people practicing this. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, like... <laughs> not that we not, are poor and stupid. Yeah. Well, you know. Well, and Christianity yeah. is the religion of the nobility, of the yeah. gentry, right. of so, the established classes. It's the yeah. socially sanctioned religion. Yeah. Yeah. So only people who are falling outside of the highly monitored upper mm-hmm. classes are able to practice it. And since the lower class needs, they want something to practice and like believe in and have that behind them they go to something that right they can which is partially where the whole like idea even now comes from it still continues where it's like you can go to multiple gods or goddesses mm-hmm. for whatever you want like yeah. you can disown a, like not disown but you can be done with a god it doesn't have to be like a bad thing it's yeah. just like i don't really need you anymore all right yeah. so part two of what she's <laughs> arguing here is that the male god supersedes the female god in mm. this ancient tradition this doesn't jive quite so well with particularly uh, yeah. the feminist side of Wicca. I would say that that's not probably as much of a, the case now. Like, no. I, I would say, well, I think there's a heavy emphasis on the fact that the two, like the god and the goddess, like have to work together. Like, it's... Hmm. Well, like yin and yang yeah sort yin and yang yeah (laughs) and it's like they can't they each kind of have their own stuff and like you know sometimes very rare rarely i'll go to like the horned god and be like can you help me with this but most of the time you know the goddess is kind of well yeah in in norse paganism it's kind of similar um because there's odin who is the all-father um, and he's pretty well renowned, but the thing is, is all of the female gods have significantly, like overall, more power than like. Yeah. So when you die, like, you can go to certain gods, and Freya has like, she has the upper hand over Odin on who goes to her place. So she we're going to drill down into this, Brianna, as, as we yes. go forward. However, <laughs> right now, I think it's important for our listeners who may be hearing things that they vaguely <laughs> think are familiar, that I, when you say Norse paganism, uh, they may hear this stuff in reference to Vikings. It, yes. Yeah. Yes. Or, <laughs> If there yes. are any Wagnerian opera fans out there, um, it's this sort of ancient German and Slavic, and these are the gods, Odin, yeah. that we hear of, but also Thor, that superhero movie. Oh my, don't get me started on that. <laughs> Do not. But in pop culture, don't, well, yeah, yeah, I'm the spiritualism you don't love over the here. Do they portray Loki? Shut up. Pop culture is. As we explore in our voodoo episode, pop culture is not good to any of us occultists. No, uh, it's really not. But this would be their pop culture touchstone. Um, And the last point that Murray's making is that their sex is overemphasized in the scholarship. In fact, it's not the central purpose of pagan ritual. Sex is a huge it's part. It's really big of. part, especially. Well, Norse paganism, it's a big part of it. Maybe not necessarily the act of having not sex, like, but, but like the idea, like the concept of like what yeah. is. Of combining yeah. energies yeah. and That's... creating life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Like channeling your sexual energy, right? Like, yeah, and yeah. the yeah. idea of like, you know, the union of. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of a little bit like other like sex magic things that we've talked about on the podcast, just in a different, more natural light, I guess yeah. is what I'm saying. Not mm-hmm. natural. That's the wrong word. I look forward to hearing more about this. Yes. <laughs> uh, here's somebody you may agree with more than. Um, 
Murray's not the only one to suggest the existence of a witch call. There's this guy, Jules Michelet, who argued in La Sorciere. Oh, the sorcerer? Yes, very good, Olivia. You're (laughs) learning French, one podcast episode at a time. Um, That there was a peasant religion worshipping the male god Pan or Priapus Mm. uh, that was stamped out by the Catholic Church when the aristocracy corrupted it through their involvement. So basically rich people were coming in and I don't know, turning it into eyes wide shut or something. Uh, So Michelet apparently published this theory to attract attention and to make money uh, to support what he considered his more serious scholarly endeavors. But Murray probably knew nothing of Michelet's ideas, so he's sort of publishing separately from her. Nevertheless, there's some, some overlap here. Murray was also recycling the theories of James Fraser, whose book, The Golden Bough, argued for an evolutionary development from primitive magic to medieval and Renaissance religion to modern science, which is a theory that people like me have long since rejected. Fraser did a comparative study of the world's religions, and he argued that they could be traced to a central myth of a sun god. This should sound a little bit like the Chevalier and Emma Harding Britton from our first series. Uh, So the sun god dies and then is revived every day, and the sun god joins with the earth goddess to develop, you know, our sort of natural world and all of us. We're relying on the vegetation that comes out of this union of sun and earth. Mm -hmm. Fraser's theories are guilty of a couple of cardinal sins. First, he gathered evidence to support his ideas, which is the wrong, wrong way around. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You don't have, so he basically, he had a theory first and then he went out and looked for things that supported that theory. That's the most convenient science. Right. Yeah. It's sort of like, you know, someone who goes to a spiritualist church and says mediumship is nonsense. That's what they're going to see when they get there. Yeah. Um, So you got to gather your evidence and then evaluate the evidence. So the second um, is social Darwinism. So let's just talk a little bit about his social Darwinism and evolution and, and how this all works. Pardon me, ladies, a little scholarly indulgence. Um, so his social Darwinism breaks down uh, to two basic ideas. First, that tribal cultures um, are primitive versions of modern culture. In fact, they are not. Tribal cultures are just different from modern cultures, mm-hmm. um, as we are have explored at length in this podcast and we'll continue to explore just because we're in modern culture doesn't mean we don't have superstitions or nonsense ideas or really backward upside down practices and when we look at tribal cultures and say well you guys are doing it all wrong we have to bear in mind that tribal cultures worked about 30 hours a week on an individual basis Mm -hmm. we work in the neighborhood of 50 to 60 hours a week in america to pay for our house and children our house which is generally too large for the family that we have because we all need to have our own special space and we spend how much time dicking around on Facebook achieving nothing and making ourselves feel worse like when we look at tribal cultures and say oh you guys are all upside down and backwards because you don't have dentists we really need to look in the mirror tribal culture not in this economy And that's been a message from Olivia. (laughs) Uh, And the second point is that modern culture has not fully or even cleanly evolved away from what Fraser calls primitive magical beliefs. Uh, What we've already said, that we still have superstitions, for sure. You know, holding your breath as a plane takes off, for example. Any of these little things that we do that we think will keep us safe or protect us are 
you know, we, we haven't evolved away from them. They're just part of what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So Fraser was also highly influential, inspiring the first wave of anthropology's field ethnographers and Joseph Campbell's comparative mythology. Uh, so Joseph Campbell, most famous for the hero with a thousand faces, he sort of connects the hero journey of Gilgamesh to Luke Skywalker. Yeah. <laughs> yep. uh, saying that, you know, all of mythology follows this sort of pattern of a hero journey. Yep. And that there are these archetypes. He's drawing on Jungian psychology. See us for a future episode. We'll dig all into this. So um, we shouldn't take uh, Fraser's birthday away necessarily because he did make these contributions. He did, you know, inspire anthropology, inspire comparative mythology, comparative religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was writing 100 years ago. So he was wrong about some things, but... We all are every yeah, now and then. Nobody's perfect. A hundred years from now, people will listen to this podcast just to laugh at how ridiculous our ideas are, because we'll all be, we'll all have met our alien overlords, <laughs> reptilians. Be hanging yes. out with. Them. I will work reptilians in every episode, but other. you did that, not me, this time. <laughs> we need to understand uh, that some of uh, Fraser's ideas weren't exactly the best interpretation of human culture, and their continuation in Murray's theory of the witch cult was a significant weakness of the way Murray was thinking through ancient paganism. Murray did not believe that the witches had supernatural power, but occultists praised her book because unlike the prevalent view of the witch trials, which asserted that witches had been made up by the clergy or the culture as an expression of underlying anxiety about either the rise of Protestantism or... (laughs) the place of women in society, things we went into, got into in our, our pagan episode. Murray argued uh, that the people being tried as witches were really witches after all, albeit they didn't have magical powers. Murray was accused of taking every witch confession and guilty verdict as true, despite the fact that most confessions elicited during the witch trial craze took place under duress. So, in other words, if I stick a gun to your head and said, tell me, tell me you're a witch, you'd be like, yeah, I'm... Yeah, Rob, I told you yesterday and the day before. (laughs) Were you naked in your azaleas? Of course I was. No, you're you're naked riding the horse. In the oh, there's a horse. No, that's different. That's separate. The ride at night is the naked. Yeah. Azaleas. I mean, I guess you can. I think women riding horses naked have a better time than men. I didn't say it was going to be a good time (laughs) for anyone. I just said that we ride at night. We do it. Could be wrong, but that's my. So no one's enjoying it. Yeah, we just ride at night. Yeah, we just not. We enjoy riding at night. Murray's theories were pretty widely uh, accepted um, uh, among uh, neo-pagans, despite a fair amount of criticism, even from the first publication of her witch cult. She wrote the article on witches for the Encyclopedia Britannica. So it's not even that neo-pagans embraced her, it's that scholars embraced her theories. Um, And it stayed in the Encyclopedia Britannica through 1969. Her, Her books continued to be published by academic presses into the 1970s. Today, you can still get them, but not through academic presses. Some modern Wiccans continue to cite her without giving it a second thought because of this. Yeah, I've seen her referenced in books like modern books before. Yeah, so she's not a great, she's a great Egyptologist. Mm. She was not necessarily the greatest pagan scholar for all the reasons that we're pointing out here, you know, over um, valuing confessions made in witchcraft trials and just sort of adopting Fraser's evolutionary model. All these sorts of ideas didn't function so well. But Mm -hmm. because scholars didn't drum her out or replace her theories with anything functional, 
Wiccans and neo-pagans just sort of sucked them up and said, oh, this is true. We only have so much to grab (laughs) onto. But we are going to dig into this and see whether there is any truth to there being pagans in the ancient world. So trials for witchcraft or magic popped up periodically through the Middle Ages, but they were almost always for an injury done through magic. Magic itself wasn't necessarily a punishable offense. If you look at the Bible, the New Testament has almost nothing to say about witches. It's all Old Testament where we're stoning people for being mediums and witches. The focus is on exorcism in the New Testament. The exorcism of demons from, you know, pigs and people and... Pigs. Pigs. (laughs) Uh, Witchcraft as an act of trafficking with the Christian devil was more or less invented by clergy members in the 15th century to deal with a rapidly changing spiritual and social scene in Europe. So in this way, witchcraft was made up by the clergy. Uh, But what Murray's claiming about ancient paganism is not this, not trafficking with the devil. Uh, And these were the accusations made against the witches traditionally. In his excellent book, Pagan Britain, the scholar Ronald Hutton um, says that there are some interesting differences between, between the way the witch trials unfolded. They were most frequent in Iceland and Scotland, but there were hardly any in Ireland. The Irish had a tradition of fairy belief, which tended to place the blame for curses or misfortune on non-human spirits. That makes sense. So in Ireland, we didn't need to have witch trials because, you know, if you were having miscarriage after miscarriage or your cow gave birth to a chicken, you just blame it on the fairy folk. There's a lot of countries that are actually like that still. A lot of, like, actually a lot of, like, Scandinavia and a lot of, which makes sense. Speaking of which, Iceland had a tradition of male sorcerers going back to Arctic shamanism. So witches by other terms. So there are a lot of men tried for witchcraft in Iceland. Arctic shamanism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just sounds like it's like the Inuit Eskimo ice powers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. just well, like imagining like an ice bender, just like the shaman. It's more like shamans t- sh- shooting their souls out over the ocean yeah. to warmer climates. Um, <laughs> England and Scotland <laughs> tended to believe in human inflected curses and that women possessed particular magical ability, and so the witch trials in Britannia mostly focused on women. So that sort of gives you how the culture then bred the belief about witches. Ireland, no witches. We have fairy folk. Iceland, male witches. Scotland and England, we have female witches. This is all to say that witch trials didn't spring out of the church's sudden need to purge a rising tide of actual paganism. There was no kind of organized paganism to purge. But that's not to say there was no paganism whatsoever. The absence of temples to Gaia, or rituals in honor of Pan, did not mean that Christianity had successfully stamped out all forms of pagan belief or practice across Europe. And that brings us to today's brief history, um, which you're going to have to continue to listen to me on. <laughs> this is so weird. Yeah. Wait, does is, this mean I get to wait to see if you say something wrong? Yes, I will mispronounce things, and you will tell me that I'm wrong. Yikes. Let's see how this goes. <laughs> Papal legates. What? I'm sorry. <laughs> what did you just what say? What did you just happen? <laughs> Rob just broke. Papal, papal legates. Oh, papal legates? <laughs> of the Pope. His okay. legates. All right. Which are tiny legs. It just sounded like one whole word. That he would send out across <laughs> Europe. Papal legates. <laughs> so they're officials of the Pope, in, okay. in all seriousness, came to England around the year 800 and reported back that some minor pagan customs remained, including eating horse meat, 
<laughs> which I know you three do all, all the time. time. I'm a vegetarian except for horse meat. Yes. Mutilating horses. Yeah. Yep. Tattoos. Yeah. Uh, oh. Uh, yeah. Okay. Seeing tattoos across yeah. the across the circle here. Um, divination by casting lots. We've got some lots to our left. Wearing protective amulets. Okay. Containing yeah. Bible passages. Oh, not no, quite. Not that. Skipped that one. <laughs> yeah, I didn't do that. And saints' relics. No. Well, maybe. No, no, no. There is no evidence of an organized oppositional religion so much as individual pagan practices rooted in particular homes or particular people. In the 1500s and 1600s, church officials sought to weed out individuals whose belief ran against Christian orthodoxy, but were unconcerned with any organized movements except perhaps the Lollards who were the furthest possible thing from pagans. Bullets. Yeah. They sound... Never mind. They were not fun. <laughs> they were literally not fun because the Lollards believed that Jesus never laughed. <laughs> okay, they literally sound like they grew up... Never mind. They were yeah, very... I, in the bayou, yeah. like... They were hardcore Puritans, and they, wa- no, they wanted to yeah. stamp out all things fun in the world. Like They've never had too. social interaction outside no. their family. So the, ca- the, ca- the Christian Catholics at the time looked at them and said, no, this is... You are not... We don't want to have you around, and they burned them. Okay. Like, probably would have burned them, too. Yeah. <laughs> Easter, 1282, at the Scottish seaport of... Here you go. This is your chance. Inverkeithing. I love Inverkeithing. 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 I don't know if we've gotten any Scottish listeners yet, but I look forward to them letting us know about I that. Inverkeithing. I love Scotland. I've, I've spent some time traveling the country, and I cannot pronounce any of. I'm trying to think. Any of the signs, any of the names of any of the places. Okay, Easter 1282, in this little Scottish seaport, a priest danced around a statue of Bacchus with a group of girls carrying a wooden set of male genitals. Wait, wait, wait. A wooden set of male genitals. Is this like the first dildo? Like, what are we talking about? Probably not the first. Like a wooden... I doubt that's the first. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But it's in the history of dildos, yes. But it's wooden? Yes. They didn't actually... Will you polish that down? I think... Anyway. The (laughs) following Easter... I'm not a woman, so... It has to be very polished down for me to put a wooden... You can smooth it. You can shellac it. I'm still not risking. <laughs> I don't care how shellacked it is. Witchcraft is not going to solve splinters up my yuha. Yes. Yuha. I think we may keep the the family friendly rating. Um, the following Easter, he was knifed to death in the night. Then in 1351, so that's some sp- suspicious that pagan yeah. activity. Yeah. yeah. In 1351, a group of monks in North Devon set up an altar to Mary, but the Bishop of Exeter saw her as more of an unchaste Eve or Diana. The monks may have been uh, divining futures and offering love charms. In any case, the bishop had the place destroyed. (laughs) Sounds right. Then in 1656, a group of Highlanders in Scotland were scolded for sacrificing a bull. Don't do that. Walking sunwise around some ruins. Sunwise. And sticking their head inside a stone to discern the future. I can't say I use that one. I don't know, that sounds like my nightly. <laughs> then in 1678, there's a report of Clan Mackenzie sacrificing a bull at a healing shrine to cure an ailing grandmother. Italians had a tradition that believed male or female children born with a call, called Benondati, 
feels pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. No scolding so far. <laughs> Had the ability to project their spirits at night. So if you were born with a call, you could project your spirit at oh. night. Oh. Well, I feel like I've read about this yeah, before. Yeah, I think I have too. The male Benindadi would do battle with witches, or Manindadi, who <laughs> sent their they spirits to harm crops and livestock. So the Benindadi were like these righteous protectors of the Italian countryside as the witches sent their spirits out. You would send your Benindadi spirit out and they would you would do battle in the sky. That's intense. <laughs> it really is. Calls were generally regarded as good luck, but traditionally they were a sign of protection against enemies. Their, the Benindadi souls left their bodies in the shape of cats, mice, or butterflies and wielded fennel as a weapon against the witches who wielded sorghum. Well, the butterfly um, is probably not going to be as successful, but... A butterfly with fennel. Another story. <laughs> I stand corrected. <laughs> the female Benindadi would consort with fairies at great feasts and learn who in their community would die in the coming year. Just so you know. When they weren't doing spirit battle with the Manindadi, the Benindadi were said to possess magical healing powers. The Inquisition would ultimately roll up all these uh, anti-witch warriors with the witches themselves in an effort to purge pagan belief entirely from Italy. Some modern Christianized holidays and festivals continue to bear the mark of ancient paganism, giving gifts mm. and hanging greenery around the house oh at Christmas time. For example, right? <laughs> it's nice to get real heated. <laughs> nothing to do with the birth of Jesus or a bunch of, I don't know, guys walking across the desert with frankincense and myrrh. Uh, the Maypole, another pagan custom, lighting fires at the midsummer solstice. And last but not least, gathering at the start of winter to feast, divine who will survive the bleak months ahead, and mock the powers of death and cold who loom on the horizon, which is what we today call Halloween. <laughs> and that's a brief history of European paganism. Yay, Rob! Oh, I get applause. I I've never got we applause doing a brief before. history. Yeah, I did too. We got so caught up. Yeah, it was so much fun. <laughs> so Hutton says that pagan gods did not survive the rise of Christianity in Britain. But as these examples show, many rituals, ideas, and festivals continued into the Christian era, either absorbed in Christian practices or as superstitions. These included spells, charms, and other sorts of magical remedies. Where is Stonehenge? England. It is in England? Yeah. I've been there. Stonehenge was made to align with the summer solstice. Yeah, there's uh, in Scotland right? they have many so. Stonehenge. They have many Stonehenges, little mm-hmm. stone monuments. Yeah, I was just thinking about thousands this. thousands of years maybe. old. Same. I visited one on an island. The name escapes me. It's like a mini Scotland, this island. Yeah. They have good cheese. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. It's not a podcast episode if we there. don't talk about cheese. <laughs> True. Uh, you looked at real estate there? I think so, yeah. I've always wanted, Scotland's like where I've always Do you know the name of the island? Ultimately. No, I don't remember. Mm. I was just looking it's up It's off like, the Isle of Skye, anyway. Oh, maybe that's probably. You wow. looked in the Isle of Skye? The, the Isle of Skye is beautiful. But I was like looking at maps trying yeah, to find like strongly it. suggested. The French love to vacation in the Isle of Skye. Huh. So as you learn your French, you can go and hang out with them. I did just test into French, too. Nice. Neat. I might be screwed, but it's fine. <laughs> Just give me a call. For example, uh, Murray observed instances of naked females carved on castles and churches with legs spread. The churches didn't spread their legs. <laughs> there the were women s- on the churches were spreading spread their, their legs. legs. Mm. Carved women. That's nice. the kind of tagging I can get behind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, while Murray believed this was a sign of an enduring pagan tradition, it's actually more likely that it was a holdover belief that the display of women's genitals warded off misfortune. There you go. Hmm. Uh, 
Neither theory is proven, but the latter is easier to swallow than that those carvings are evidence for a whole organized system of non-Christian worship carved on the side of Christian temples. So you're saying if I just walk around flashing people my genitals, it's really just for their own protection? You'll be warding off evil. I would count it a compliment to <laughs> my protection against, or maybe I would be worried that you see evil coming, yeah. like, it's like sneaking up behind oh, me. Oh shit, Olivia, she, she flashed me. <laughs> I gotta, where's my wife? And then I'll hear evil scream and run the other yeah. way. Yeah. You're welcome. Okay. We ride at night. Another possible holdover is like the Ben and Dottie. Um, the <laughs> labyrinths, there's labyrinths found all around Europe. Maybe you saw these on your real estate search, Aubrey. Oh, here you go. The you labyrinths. were talking about labyrinths earlier. That's a little Mine's different. Mine's a different labyrinth. Yeah. Oh. It's a ritual. Labyrinth. Well, these harken back to Theseus and the Minotaur, probably yours well, as well. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. They pop up in England, Italy, France, Sweden, Scandinavia, other parts of both Western and Eastern Europe. Yeah. The most famous is probably the Glastonbury Tour. In 1930, uh, Dion Fortune saw the labyrinth as a sacred processional path made by refugees from what, Atlantis. What was the last name? Dion Fortune. Fortune? What would you call her? Not Fortune, just Fortune. Fortune? It sounds kind of like Fortune. I'm calling her Fortune. It's kind of witchy. I kind of love it. <laughs> like... Anyway, Olivia she says Fortune. that the Atlanteans left us these labyrinths. Oh. Uh, she probably should get an episode one day. She's a neat lady. Gardner, uh, Gerald Gardner, founder of Wicca, uh, Gardnerian Wicca, pardon me, work, uh, his work showed clear influences from Murray's ideas. He said that he had discovered a coven of 13 members of a of Wiccans, witches, neo-pagans, celebrating the four festival days as Murray had asserted in the tradition of the old pagans. Gardner was born in 1884 and spent most of his adult life in Malaysia. He retired in 1936 and moved to England where he and his wife joined a nudist club in North London, which was uh, all the rage at the time. We ride at night. Yeah, yeah. just your, great, your grandmother and great-grandmother were living at the time of the nudist cults. That's beautiful. Nudist club, sorry. No cult, just club. Because, you know, there's club no is, other rules. Yeah, it's more Just get naked. Back. You don't have to keep it a secret. You <laughs> don't have or to worry about anything. You don't have to expel anybody or shame anybody. Just get naked and all is well. With the advent of World War II, Gardner moved to Highcliffe, where he met members of a Rosicrucian order. Ooh, they're back. Ah, they're back again. And in 1939, he was initiated into a coven of witches, or so he said practicing Wicca, or the old religion. No one knows if Gardner really was initiated into this coven or if he made it up. There's a story that Aleister Crowley had been offered initiation into a coven of witches decades earlier. Olivia's <laughs> fist-pumping vigorously. I just love it. Yes, Aleister Crowley will get an episode one day. He's ah! one of the major figures of the occult revival, but we're saving him for our Black Magic series, Ooh. which will is a couple, no, couple series ahead. That. that episode's just going to be me screaming. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but Crowley uh, refused to join the coven because he didn't want to be bossed around by a bunch of women. Makes sense. <laughs> Sounds like him. Gardner knew Crowley and was admitted into Crowley's Ordo Templi Orientis in 1946, just a year before Crowley died. Gardner's association with the OTO, uh, the Order of the Golden Dawn, and the Freemasons gave early Wicca its heavy ceremonial um, feel, including you know the use of robes and daggers and cups. Uh, which we're all planning to use today, right, in, in your, your uh, ritual? Well, not quite, but... <laughs> there are some opinions about that here. Walmart versions of robes, daggers, and cups. Yep. In 1952, 
Stories circulating of a group of witches performing ritual magic to repel an invasion by the Germans surfaced. Women played an important role in the magical battle of Britain. I love this, the magical battle of Britain. That's amazing. Uh, and one of them may have been responsible for indoctrinating Gardner into a witch cult. Dion Fortune, who we just discussed in connection with the Atlantean Labyrinth, had her own crew of magical world warriors. Um, so the magical battle of Britain was essentially occultists and neo-pagans using magic to counter the Nazi occult influences that were physically and psychically assaulting the island. Anyway. Huh. <laughs> uh, Fortune's mother uh, told her that as a baby, she had died in her arms and come back to life a little while later, <laughs> looking at her with the eyes of a different person. She had her first visions at the age of four, and her family pu published her first book of poetry when she was 13. Um, something... What? Can we, like, she needs to slow down here for I a minute. I have to, like, digest this for Very a wealthy woman. My child will write brilliant poetry, I'm sure, but I will not be publishing it. But how old was she when her mom was like, you died as a baby, baby in my yeah. arms and came back with well, the eyes of a different Well, they're publishing her poems person. at 13, so I think they're telling her as soon as she can understand what those words mean. As soon as, it, as, soon as she Perhaps dies, earlier. comes back, you just died and came back. Those were her I first words. saying it. I died. <laughs> but I'm back. She, I'm back. She worked for, so Fortune worked for three years at one of the first psycho, uh, analytic clinics in Britain as a lay analyst back when that was a thing sort of like Dr. Phil she began investigating occultism sorry little joke there uh, <laughs> with the physician Theodore Moriarty who she met at the clinic she was a member of the Golden Dawn led a theosophical lodge but her membership with each group ended in a confrontational falling out and so she started her own community of the inner light she relocated mm. the society to Glastonbury with its Arthurian legendary associations she believed in using magic for social and political ends and worked spells against the enemy in World War II, the Magical Battle of Britain. She died in 1946 of light-detected leukemia, which her society believed had been brought on by her intense efforts in that Magical Battle of Britain. So uh, just a taste of some of the of a major female figure mm. at this early point in uh, the rise of neo-paganism. Gardner said, uh, going back to the dude, that he had only inherited portions of the rituals, which likely came from Renaissance Italy, uh, and he had needed to flesh out some of the ritual's contents himself, cups, robes, etc., which Brianna is not a fan of. I'm not. <laughs> While Gardner drew on Murray, she was not his only source. He also utilized Crowley's Book of the Law, Robert Graves' The White Goddess, and Charles Leland's Aradia, or The Gospel of the Witches. Aradia, uh, which Leland, a folklorist, derived from conversations with an Italian witch in Florence, is a source worth examining for a minute or two. So uh, there is this notion, I, I guess, that Gardner just sort of made up Wicca from whole cloth. But actually, he's got all these sources, which include a lot of women. So mm -hmm. I think Wicca has a legitimate... Uh, what I'm trying to point out here is that Wicca has a legitimate um, basis in, in a feminine culture. So there's this Italian witch um, who this folklorist goes to visit. He spent the better part of a decade researching Italian folklore in Florence. During that time, he got to know a fortune teller he called Maddalena, this witch. While studying, uh, Leland learned of a manuscript of Italian witchcraft, the Vangelo, which he... J-Lo? Vangelo. 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 J-Lo. 
which he asked Madalena to acquire for him. It took her 11 years, but eventually she sent him a copy <laughs> written out in her own handwriting. She was too busy doing other things. She was probably too busy writing it. Um, the Vangelo was then some part of the source material for Leyland's Gospel of the Witches. Gardner introduced the goddess into the cult, although she was second in his version to the horned god, which is an inversion of modern Wiccan practice, which puts the goddess first. But he privileged the female high priestess in the ritual, who was essential. He speculated that the witch cult was derived from a matriarchal Stone Age culture. Early in his practice, his high priestess uh, was Doreen Valiente. Do you guys know Doreen? Familiar with Doreen? No. No, No, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Feels like Valiente. Um, in 1952, she read an article about the opening of a folklore center with resident witch Gerald Gartner um, at the center of it, and she wrote to him, occultists are great at self-promotion. That's just, we're getting better at it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> find us on Twitter. Uh, after gauging her opinion on ritual nudity, so he was like, how, how do you feel about getting naked? And she's like, yeah, it's all right. Uh, <laughs> Tinker, yes. He admitted her to the coven in 1953. She recognized that Gardner had placed a lot of Aleister Crowley's practice into Wicca in his Book of Shadows and hoping to distance the movement from Crowley's band of occultism, which, you know, probably not a terrible idea, <laughs> Olivia will even admit. Yeah, <laughs> I mean. She rewrote much of the Book of Shadows. Gardner's hunger for publicity coupled with his admission of two new younger members, Jack Bryselin and his girlfriend, Deonis, turned Valiente off. She tried to rein Gardner in, but he published a new set of rules for the coven, limiting the high priestess's power, sort of vengefully, uh, and she left to form her own group, splintering the movement. And I'm going to sort of close out our history there um, with the caveat that if you would like to know, uh, we're going to talk now to our Wiccans about their practice and what they believe, uh, but there are folks who publish on Wicca if you'd like to go out and find their stuff. Mm-hmm. Starhawk, Silver Ravenwolf. Uh, are just... Oh, I have one of her books. Oh, cool. Yeah. So there's a couple of the major figures. Uh, there's a bunch of others, um, but you know we're thinking in terms of lady magic. So mm-hmm. these are our, our, some of our prominent ladies of, of Wicca, uh, and they do tend to cite Murray and use Murray more or less uncritically as a source. So caveat there. Um, a but, lot of people also still like read like Gardner stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I see it all over the place, like in shops and stuff for Wicca. And you've got Valiente's reinterpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess what I'm charting, uh, the, the takeaway from the history of Wicca is that there's a complex relationship with women, mm-hmm. and there's a complex relationship with historical paganism. It's mm-hmm. not true that Wicca has just revived ancient paganism it, as it was. Mm-hmm. But it's also not entirely true that Wiccan and neo-paganism have made up ancient paganism. It did exist. There are instances of people practicing mm-hmm. pagan um, rituals and pagan practices, doing pagan things with wooden phalluses and stuff mm-hmm. through the history of medieval and early modern Europe. So that's all there. So I guess, as usual, it's complicated. Uh, and then as, when it comes to women... It's true that Gerald Gardner is essentially responsible for bringing Wicca into the limelight, Mm -hmm. to borrow a theatrical term. But it's also true that major major women like Madalena and Doreen Valiente served a significant role in shaping what 
modern Wicca is, and Margaret Murray, to a large extent, um, who was imaginatively interpreting what a witch cult might look like, but nevertheless serves as a source for Wicca. All right, so tell us more. Tell us what it means to be a Wiccan today. Maybe we'll start with Aubrey, since she's working her way into Wicca. What drew you to Wicca, Aubrey, in the first place? I mean, I've always been drawn to it my entire life like I even like my neighbor lied to me and told me that she's a witch and I waited by my window and she was gonna like teach me like how to be one and I just, <laughs> at like, your waited. window she was gonna yeah, she was just gonna come fly to by on her broom like a little kid hover you know? by the window yeah. you'd have to stay at and the she, window and to pick learn. me up yeah and then we <laughs> but you oh, were like you up. but you were like excited yeah I had yeah. a costume a witch costume yeah that's how you know that's how you know okay I mean it's always been yeah I've always been drawn to it and I'm just kind of looking into it, it's, I think, a place for, like, healing, I guess, you know, for yeah. me. And, like, just uh, self-reflection right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's the best anything. way to start, though. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, honestly, that's the way you continue as well. It right. never stops. Yeah, like. right, exactly. Well, so if you don't mind, Aubrey, could you tell us a little bit about what your practice looks like? I'm a performance scholar, after all. I'm interested um, in the way people ritualize and practice their beliefs. It's not very ritualistic yet. I'm still trying to, I guess, figure out what works for me because I've never been religious or anything. So this is so mm-hmm. new to me so more than anything it's just like i'll light some incense or like take a bath with like some sort of a thought in my head Mm -hmm. an intention and with an intention yeah yeah. so um you don't have to tell us your personal intentions you can if you'd like um (laughs) but could you just give us an example of what an intention might mean um it's like i guess kind of like a goal like your thought like something that you want to work towards at least that's how i use it yeah so you're putting it out in the world yeah just, yeah, through your own energy rather than, like, yelling. So you're imagining <laughs> imagining putting that intention out yeah. through some sort it's of like, yeah, psychic energy kind of that comes out it. of you. Yeah, yeah. And that might draw this back to you. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bree? Well, I'm not a Wiccan, but I am a Norse pagan, and so beliefs do, like, it does differ a bit because mm-hmm. in Wicca you can't you can do a lot of good uh, yeah I'll probably talk about that yeah next but Norse paganism it's a mixed box of things um so I personally practice a lot of um divination and sleepwalking not sleepwalking dreamwalking that's what I meant to say I was gonna say that sounds dangerous <laughs> well it is you did used to sleepwalk I did used to sleepwalk. so you're literally out in the azaleas <laughs> I am out in the azaleas, yeah. (laughs) But not actually you. Not actually me. uh, Astral me. You astral project. Yes. You astrally project. Yes. Okay. Um, Which Our listeners are familiar with astral projection. It it can be really dangerous, depending. Um, There's a lot of, like, lore and thought into, like, people going into comas because of it, because they get stuck. Because if you can't get back to your body, it can kind of be a bad thing. Yeah, shamans had this concern yeah. as well. That's like my practice is Siddhar, which is Norse shamanism. Mm-hmm. So, like, I do a lot of divination. I do a lot of dream walking. So, Brianna, you, you look for uh, repeatable phenomena yeah, and, in your practice. Yes. And those are the things that you then follow up on. Yeah, and by physically, not physically, but astrally, physically, projecting myself. <laughs> I don't know how else to say no, that. Yeah. But, like, projecting myself. It leads me to what I need to do. Like, 
in your life. Yeah, like I'll have certain goals depending on, sometimes I'll have goals going into it. Sometimes I don't, and it's just like a little exploratory thing. And okay. I'll find things I didn't know I needed to find. Back to the labyrinth. So pretty much you visualize this labyrinth. A lot of the times you just draw it. You literally draw a labyrinth, and you go into this deep sleep state. And you pretty much follow your way through to the center, and you can go and literally actually face-to-face -face speak with the goddess Hell. Um, you don't necessarily actually see her, but, like, she is there. And she will actually, like, commune with you. And it's a really interesting experience. Like, I don't know how to describe it. But that's it, where the labyrinth ties into North, Norse mythology, which I find very interesting, because there's labyrinths everywhere. So um, <laughs> can you relate this to something like pathworking? Visualization. Yeah, it feels yeah. like pathworking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it feels like pathworking to me yeah. of, of a different sort. Yeah. With yeah. a very specifically delineated. Yeah, you go to talk to her pantheon. about something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and pathworking doesn't necessarily have such a yeah elaborate system of yeah. gods to, to interact with. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> there's there's a lot going on in Norse mythology. There's also mm. a lot of blood magic. What? T go on. You can't just bring up blood magic <laughs> and then. I'm sorry. There is. Okay, so. <sighs> magic using blood yes okay um that's very controversial in wicca by the way i know but no yeah. it's it's a very accepted thing because it's thought that so when the world was made it was made from the body of a frost giant terrible guy we don't like him and so his blood was used to form the rivers so it's a very like concrete connection to the earth so that's why a lot of rune stones are made with like wood and bone and stuff because it's very connected to the earth so you have it like infuses more spiritual ability mm -hmm. into you like mm -hmm. it it's like using crystals yeah it's, um yeah so you know. blood tends to be the choice of material and rituals to add to it because it personalizes it for one if it's your own blood it like really brings the connection to your gods through so like when i consecrate my runes um i blood them a lot of women during their cycle will Instead of like cutting like their finger or something to get blood, they will put it up there. Ear. <laughs> Ooh ha! Yes. Ah. Uh, yes. And not then their just ear. pull it out. And okay. I don't like that. I guess it's efficient. It is, but a lot I feel of Wiccans like swear by menstrual blood. It just it takes a lot more time, in my opinion. It's just because you got to sit there and what you just got to trigger one warning. By one. If you're eating lunch, <laughs> put the sandwich down. Makes so sense. Olivia, give us your take on Wicca. Um, so I guess my perspective of Wicca is a little jaded, maybe a tiny bit, just because I do also, um, have a lot of, like, Satanism in my life, and I also really embody and, like, practice chaos magic, um, which can totally work with Wicca, I think, but there are certain things that definitely clash, but I think that's why I have a mixed bag, is because for me, certain things that Wicca doesn't answer, other things do. So I like to just them all together um so what does wicca answer to me it brings i guess more clarification in a way that doesn't actually clarify anything <laughs> clarification of your own emotional it's kind of like states to me the fact that if i feel empowered enough that i can possibly take things and sway them into my control that to me like reaffirms just on like a normal spiritual level, not even a Wicca thing, just like the power of people. And I think that kind of is a little bit of my chaos magic influence coming in, this idea that we can like shape our own reality basically, but like 
to me, like, I, I definitely focus more with Wicca, a lot of, like, divination stuff. Different than what Brianna does, though. Yeah. I tend to do, like, palm reading for me for some reason is very, yeah, like... Yeah, you're really good at it, too. It really... Like, you're really that's connected just, to it. That's just something that, yeah. for me, really works. So um, you just mean that, the, functionally, you do different things, but it's serving the same end? Kind of. A little I think, bit. Yeah. I think my kind of divination is more so, like... I don't... Because I do... So, when I first started really getting into divination... A way that's good to, like, get into it, like, safely. You have to do very safe things, but dream work. Um, Because in your dreams, that's where most likely other things can come talk to you. That's where other versions of, like, yourself kind of. Like, if you go with, like, past life ideas and Mm -hmm. stuff, that's where you connect with that. Your guardian angel, if you believe in that. A lot of Wiccans believe in angels. Um, It's a sounding spiritualist as well. Yeah. It's very, like... That's how things can easily come to you because your mind is kind of, you know, like you're in a different state. Um, So a lot of like if you want to do spirit work, that's a good way to do that. It's a good way to connect with yourself. Like I find that I can answer questions for myself if I put myself Mm -hmm. in the right place like with sleeping. Yeah. It's such a hard question. (laughs) That's all right. I I think some themes I'm hearing between you all is there's a like exploration of Mm-hmm. sort of the inside the interior mm-hmm. of your own yeah deep psychic existence With, but it also yeah. correlates to some of your experiences outside or that's the intention that yeah. Aubrey can put that intention out yeah or that Brianna is going to discover something through that interior exploration that reflects on the wide world mm-hmm. and that Olivia you're able to achieve some control over your life circumstances, not just mm-hmm. how you feel about them. Or at least I can get, like, some type of verification from the Earth being like, you know, you're either going in the right path or you're going in the wrong mm-hmm. path. Like, to me, that's why, like, the whole intention thing, like we were talking about, I don't think in Wicca you need all of... I think it scares people. People get scared of Wicca because of all of the ritual and all yeah. of the, like, you know, you have to draw the four corners and you gotta you the robes to, and the cups you gotta and the no. do cast the circle and blah 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 like it's just Aubrey taking the bath you don't need yeah, you don't knives need. you don't need goblets you don't need you don't need all that extra stuff like yeah. as long as you have like certain things that connect with you and that you feel are valuable and you have your intention strongly that intention and that energy is going to go out in the world yeah so you know, which is why, I mean, Wiccans believe in, sorry, <laughs> um, do no harm to none, which is where I have some issues. Do yeah. no harm to none. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Do harm to none. <laughs> no harm. Sorry. <laughs> On that note, uh, Olivia is going to walk us through a Wiccan ritual. Give me one, though. Oh. All right, Olivia. Okay. So uh, everyone's taking a jar here. Yep. So once you have your jar, we're going to put some shit in the jar. It's literally this easy, guys. It's like cooking, but not. Um, So I've got a bunch of different like herbs and stuff that are going to be used for like wealth, prosperity, fortune, that kind of stuff. Um, So I've got cinnamon sticks here. Cinnamon is really good for that type of thing. Let's Um, get us some cinnamons to do. We just put it right in there? Yeah. Um, Or are we we jumping the gun? Someone's gonna have to open that. Open the cinnamon. Um, I have it the seal torn open because I couldn't get the lid off. What Um, other uh, ingredients do we have here? So we've got basil, 
basil is pretty much great for everything. Like, Especially pesto. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, look, basil, we've got time. Never have enough time, my right. bright ladies. Um, so right. time is like super powerful for wealth, which is kind of ironic and weird and cryptic yeah. um, if you think about it. Um, I like using... Can you explain that? <laughs> the joke that I just made that was really bad, or... Oh, it's it's a pun about the word like time? Like time and money. Because we don't have enough, Rob. Yes. Right. All so right. I think that you makes were, sense. That's... You have a cinnamon <laughs> stick? Yeah, like you might have to break it in order to fit in the jar, because they does are kind the of top have to, Does it have to close? The jar? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Correct. You want Got it to it. close. Ooh. So we have some time. On. We'll pass around some time. Can time stop jokes. This joke? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't, is that pass a pun? I don't understand I don't these know. Puns. I'm trying, Rob. You can't pass time around, Einstein. Can I have more than one? Yeah. Ooh. Girl, want... throw all that cinnamon in. I like cinnamon sticks when I'm working with cinnamon. Well, yeah, because but... cinnamon just gets time everywhere otherwise. I don't think I've ever smelled thyme before. Okay, I hate this <laughs> joke. I hate this joke so See, much. See, I'm telling you guys. Okay. It wasn't um, She was referring to actual time. <laughs> As we're time. passing around stuff, I have some ground ginger. Preferably, I like dried, like, actual chunks of, like, the ginger root, but, you know, Walmart, thugging on a budget. Here we go. Can I have more time, please? Oh, sure. <laughs> you can't ask for more time, Brianna. So then, allspice. Allspice okay. is, like, super lucky. They used to do this thing where they would take, like, seven allspice pieces, and they would, like, attach it to their clothing, and then every day you uh -huh. take a piece off. It's supposed to be lucky. You almost hit me in the face again. You take seven, and you, so every week you would re-up your allspice? Yeah, you could, mm. I guess. And then nutmeg. Nutmeg is really great. If you want to go gambling, um, take nutmeg or ginger. Just, like, a lot of times people will put it on their shoes, like, dust a little bit on their shoes before they go into a casino. Oh, hell yeah. I'm going to do that. So, um, <laughs> there's that. And then Thank you. the other thing I have is um, bay leaves are really great for any type of jar, any type of spell work, um, especially if you want to do something as simple as writing your wishes or your goals on bay leaves and then burning them, keeping that in a jar on your altar. I do that a lot. Um, or if you're making a soup. See, you're coming at my time <laughs> jokes and you're over here. <laughs> Making a soup. Um, yeah. So, like, Brianna, what she wanted to do with the bay leaves is she wanted to draw some of the runes that she um, ascribes to wealth on the bay leaves. So, yeah, doesn't have to be anything crazy. I'm heavy on this ginger. Is there a pen? Good. All right. <laughs> so I feel I like don't children have a are a gamble. Pen? Pen. So, the other thing that you would want to put in this jar out. is... Um, That's probably a sign I should use more. Yeah, there you go. Um, coins... Silver or gold coins would be good to put in here. Anything that you're going to attribute in your mind or with your intention to like wealth and prosperity. Um, so you like, I would put certain talk. crystals in there that I would ascribe to that um, jewelry that you might. Oh, here I brought this ring that my grandfather go. wore when he was counting cards in blackjack. Oh hell yeah, that's like perfect. Because um, what you would do is, uh, because you weren't allowed to count cards, he had his hands were much bigger than mine, is you would wear different jewelry so that they would confuse you. So you, these are a lot of little cheap rings that he would buy. This is not an actual diamond. 
Um, that, uh, yeah, he would, so it would switch him up so that his hands always look different to the dealers. That's like perfect. Um, so anything like that, like lucky things you have, Grandma's clovers, doing some writing on her clovers. bay leaves there. She yeah, is. Yeah, runes. I um, three. So even if you guys, if you wanted to write on your bay leaves, you could literally just write wealth or prosperity or, you know, money if you want. It's really, you know, it's free game. Or cheese, cheddar. Or cheese. Yeah. So you could also. Um, babies yeah. the <laughs> Thanks, because you have to write all the write foods, all, all the dairy products you'd like to attain. Yeah. So, I wrote Fortune on mine. <laughs> yes, that'll do. That'll do. So once you have your jar done, um, you're going to, preferably what you would do is that you would charge this in the moonlight on a full moon. We had the full moon yesterday (laughs) so explains a lot about my day yesterday yeah so typically like a lot of everywhere yeah (laughs) dodging them in the street that's interesting yeah that's a normal full moon for me what if i spell my words wrong on my bay leaf as long as your intention is there it does not matter what you put all right (laughs) um as long as you have a super strong intention so um how about these candles here yes so what we would then do um, is we would... I don't have a lighter. <laughs> I don't That's either. That's good, because I don't know that fire code allows yep. us to write the, so, light these in the theater. What you would do, and everyone <laughs> can take this home, too. Um, you would take... I just got white candles. You would light the white candle. Um, and then there's going to be a little phrase that you would say. Put all your thoughts about how much money you want, all of your fortunes, Yada, yada, yada. Um, and then you're going to say, by the green of the earth, air, water, and fire. By the, by the green, green of, of the, the earth, air, air, water, and fire. May the moon's light attract the wealth I desire. May, may the moon's light attract the wealth I desire. So you would say that like three times or so. Really put your intention in there. And then you can either, what I did last night, was I left my jar open under the moonlight, let it kind of charge under the moon, and then put the lid back on, keep it. Um, You can keep it around and just keep recharging it with the moon if you want. Or um, there's some people will, as they like progressively gain wealth or whatever they did the jar for, will take items out. Hmm. So that's kind of a way of, like disassembling it safely. Um, so yeah, that's you have to it. take things out one at a time. If you dump them all out, you're in bad shape. Oh, doesn't it matter. Won't, it probably just won't work. Won't oh, really okay. do anything. Yeah. You take it one at a time and you spread it out over that period when you're removing things. Mm-hmm. Ah. And then that way, it's like every time you gain something, you take something out of your jar. So it's kind of like, um, in that way, it's kind of almost like a, all right, thank you. You solved this one thing for me. I will remove one thing. It's kind of like a... You're like an exchange. Kind of. It's like a symbolic, I guess, Mm. type of thing. We're going to get so much uh, Patreon subscription now. Oh, because everyone's going to have so much money to give us. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I'm hoping. You're welcome. These are so cute. When do we light the candles? Um... Whenever you want to like charge, uh, oh, okay. charge it with your intention. Gotcha. You just white or light the white candle. Um, let it burn down. Normally in spell work, you don't want to like light the candle, then let it out when you're done. You want to like 
let the it's whole thing burn. burn down. And let it burn into the jar? No. No. Oh. No, no, no. Outside of the jar. Yeah. Okay. You will catch everything yeah. in the jar on fire. True. <laughs> Didn't think about that. Duh. Cool. All right. Yay. All right, Olivia. Uh, I think we've had some fun wicked times here. Fun wicked times. Cult confessions. Uh, so go ahead and bring us on home. We, oh, are we adjourning? I think it's time to adjourn. Oh. Uh, do, do you, would you like to make more crafts? <laughs> more Martha always? Stewart Wiccan yeah. crafts? Or, or don't we Stewart. always want to make more crafts, No, Rob? still, I don't have my Snoop Dogg. Are you my Snoop Dogg? I guess. Weird. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> okay, uh, well, we hereby adjourn and declare closed this secret meeting of uh, the order of alchemical actors until such a time as we get together and do it again. You've been studying. Did I butcher that again? That was pretty good. All right, I yeah. went with my intuition. Ah, your op- your Wicca senses <laughs> are <too>. open. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we encourage you um, uh, to visit uh, and subscribe to our our podcast if you en- if you enjoyed this episode or have enjoyed previous episodes or look forward to enjoying subsequent episodes or if this ritual actually works for you ah yes then you at least (laughs) owe us a subscription also visit us on patreon where you can click on uh, donate on our website that's Mm occultconfessions.com give us a dollar a month it will encourage us all we need is a little encouragement to keep us going here Uh, we thank you for listening Uh, joining us today we had Shannon playing Margaret Murray (laughs) (laughs) and Savannah and Shannon jumped in at the end for our ritual here yeah. And we had <laughs> Aubrey, Brianna, and Olivia as our resident Wiccans today. My name is Rob Thompson, a professor of the occult and your host here on Occult Confessions. Uh, join us next time as we conclude our series on Lady Magic at long last by uh, bringing uh, our, our discussion full circle and considering the Lady Magic of Poltergeists. Dun, dun, dun. I'm so ready. We'll see. We'll hear you next time on Occult Confessions. Bye, guys.